we are in a new series on the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And last Sunday, we looked at Acts chapter 1, where the disciples had gathered and waited in prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. Today, we are in chapter 2, which gives us an account of the giving of the Holy Spirit. So today, we are going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And some of you are thinking, this is great. About time we talk more about the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be feeling a little bit apprehensive because perhaps in your experience, anytime people talk about the Holy Spirit, it can be a real point of difference with our thinking and our experience of the Holy Spirit. So I want to assure you today that wherever you find yourself, uh, that by the end of this morning, you are hopefully going to be thankful for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit than perhaps you have ever been before. And how we're going to get there is that we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 by understanding the Scripture with the key principle of letting Scripture interpret Scripture. Today's passage is going to be filled with a lot of dramatic and strange events. And how we're going to make sense of these events is to see how other parts of the Bible can inform us more about these events. And when we do this, let Scripture interpret Scripture, I think we're going to be blown away by how all of Scripture, how all of God's plan of salvation points to the significance of the giving of the Holy Spirit. I think it's going to give us a whole new appreciation for just how significant the Holy Spirit is to God's people and to God's mission. It should make us not neglect the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's where we're going to go today. And I want to encourage you to get your Bibles open. Go grab your Bibles or have Acts chapter 2 open in your Bible app today, because today is going to be a quite a meaty sermon. And as we follow the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, we'll be working through the event of Pentecost, the effect, the explanation, and the results. So let's begin Let's look at the miraculous event of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. In the first three verses, we have three strange details about the Holy Spirit. First, the day of Pentecost. Second, the violent wind. And third, fire. So we have to ask ourselves, what do these things mean? We have to ask, why the day of Pentecost? Why a violent wind? And why tongues like fire? So first of all, why the day of Pentecost? The word Pentecost is just a word that means 50. And so Pentecost was 50 days after the beginning of the Passover. And the Passover was a religious remembrance day for God saving the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Pentecost marked the beginning of the Feast of Weeks, which was a harvest festival in the Jewish calendar. It was a massive national holiday where Jewish people would all go to gather in Jerusalem to celebrate. The day of Pentecost not only marked the uh, Feast of Weeks, it also marked the giving of the law from Moses, 
which is one of the most momentous events in the history of Israel. So the day of Pentecost marked the harvest festival and it marked the giving of the law. So why does God choose to send the Holy Spirit on this day, on the day of Pentecost? Well, let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah prophesied a day when God will make a new covenant. He says in verse 33, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So when God sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, God is communicating that He is fulfilling this promise in Jeremiah. The law that was given to Israel, God is now writing that law on people's hearts by the Holy Spirit so that God's people would not only know God's law, but they would now have a new desire to obey it by the Holy Spirit. That is what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're given a new desire to obey the law of God. So the second question we want to ask is, why wind? In the biblical language, the word wind is the same word for spirit. And if you go back to the first two verses of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, this is what we read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, in other words, the wind of God, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. God created the world by His words, by His breath, by the Holy Spirit. And here's how commentator James Montgomery Boyce connects the dot from Genesis to Acts. He says, The suggestion here in Acts is that we have a new creation, as important as the original creation. The coming of the Holy Spirit as a violent man was meant to symbolize the coming of the creative power of God to inaugurate a new era in which men and women are brought into new spiritual life. That is what happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. God breathes new spiritual life in you. You are a new creation. And so finally, why fire? Why tongues as fire? Well, where do we see in the Bible where there is speech and fire? In the book of Exodus, we can read about a story of God speaking to Israel in the resemblance of an enormous fire. In Exodus chapter 24, we read, To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In the story of Exodus, fire represented God's presence. What happens when we are filled by the Holy Spirit is that we are brought into the presence of God. So what is happening on the day of Pentecost is not random and it's not without significance. On the day of Pentecost, with the symbols of wind and fire, God is giving the Holy Spirit to the church to write the law on people's hearts, to give them a new obedience and breathing new life into them to give them God's presence. So from these first three verses, this is what we learn on what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit 
is experiencing new obedience, experiencing new life, and experiencing God's presence. These are the markers of spirit-filled Christians. They begin to desire the Bible and obey it. Their lives begin to change in such a way that they become new kinds of people. And they start to talk about having a personal relationship with God. That is all the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So now let's go see the effect of Pentecost. Verse 4, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Tongues refer here as different languages. The effect of the Holy Spirit coming onto the church was that the disciples were able to speak different languages as well as understand what was said. And what was said was the proclamation of God's wonders, the proclamation of the wonders of the good news of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean? Does that mean that the Holy Spirit can enable believers to supernaturally speak in different languages? I do believe that can happen. Uh, I know of a Presbyterian minister in Sydney who frequently travels to China to train church leaders. He is Chinese, but doesn't speak a lot of Mandarin. And he usually travels with translators when he's visiting China. And there was one time at the airport, he was ushered into an interrogation room, and he was questioned about his time in China. He was praying for his life. And as the moment as the officers questioned him, he was able to speak fluent Mandarin for the whole time that he was being interrogated. And eventually he was released. God can do these things. But I don't think that is the primary application of what is happening at Pentecost. There is a more deeper connection to another story in the Bible about languages. It's in Genesis chapter 11 about the story of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, we read, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Verse 4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What the people were doing in Genesis chapter 11 was outright rebellion against God. God said to Adam and Eve, go and be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, cultivate the earth and make God's name known. And what the later generations did was not go into the world to cultivate it and not make God's name known, but rather they gathered together so that they can make a name for themselves by building a tower to the heavens so that they could be their own gods. So God in judgment, verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over the, all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. So do you see what is happening on the day of Pentecost? Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. At Babel, God judged human sin by scattering people and confusing their languages. At Pentecost, God is revealing His grace by gathering people and proclaiming the gospel in all the languages of the earth. Here is how John Stott says it. In Jerusalem, 
the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together under Christ. Nothing could have demonstrated more clearly the multiracial, multinational, multilingual nature of the kingdom of Christ. So therefore, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to dissolve our racism, dissolve our prejudices, and giving us a compassion for the nations. The work of the Holy Spirit breaks down all cultural barriers with the gospel. Tim Keller says, The way you know that a revival has hit is that people get along who could never get along anywhere else. The Holy Spirit gives you the desire to gather all nations, all people under Christ. That desire, that compulsion may lead people to go to another country, learn a different language, have the gift of speaking another language in order to share the gospel. But the missionary spirit doesn't have to always lead you to overseas missions. It could lead you interstate or to rural areas where the gospel needs are greater The Spirit could also just send you to a different part of Sydney for work, to change your prejudices, your preconceived ideas of different parts of Sydney and different people groups to witness to Jesus, to them, people that you wouldn't normally associate with. My personal story is that God led me out of an ethnic church in a particular ethnic hub of Sydney to eventually come here to Roselle to plant a multicultural church. I also think it's no coincidence that I met and married Amy, who is different ethnically, who attended a different Bible college, which was Sydney Missionary Bible College. In the photo, we wore each other's college hoodies to have a cheeky dig at the colleges in Sydney. Amy also happens to speak different languages, fluent in Russian and Ukrainian, and whose father works for a missionary agency. Is that all coincidence, or is that the work of the Holy Spirit that supernaturally works to reverse Babel to bring all nations under Christ? So being filled with the Holy Spirit is also experiencing the love for the other, the other people who are different to you, whether it's ethnically education, or social economic differences. The feeling of the Holy Spirit will transform you to love the other and seek to witness the love of Jesus to them. So we looked at the event of Pentecost, the gift and the giving of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the effect of Pentecost to bring all nations under Christ. So now let's look at the explanation If you were there in Jerusalem at that time, you could probably be freaked out like some people did. So verse 12, we read, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. And so the apostle Peter gives an explanation, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and dressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter is saying, hey, guys, let's just get real. It's only nine in the morning for crying out loud. That is a ridiculous explanation. So let me give you the real explanation. Verse 16, Jesus says, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So notice what Peter is going to do and what we will see repeatedly happen in the books of Acts. The apostles are frequently looking back to the Old Testament prophecies and saying this, this Jesus who has risen and is ascended, this Holy Spirit that has now been given, this is the fulfillment of those prophecies. And so Peter goes on to quote prophet Joel, verse 17, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon specific people, specific leaders, to do specific acts of deliverances. But Joel is prophesying that there will be a day that the Holy Spirit will come upon all people. And Peter explaining that day is now, on the day of Pentecost. That is what you are seeing. And Joel's language of sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see vision, and your older men will dream dreams, is to reinforce that the Spirit is coming to all people, men and women, young and old, all people. And prophecy, visions, and dreams, they were all the ways that the Old Testament prophets revealed the knowledge of God. Can God reveal himself today through these same things, prophecies, dreams, and visions? I think, yes, he can. I've heard of a testimony of a Muslim Malaysian man who had a vision of Jesus on a flight from Malaysia to Singapore. And in the vision, uh, Jesus told him to go find a church and get himself a Bible. So when he landed in Singapore, he found a church, the pastor gave him a Bible, and later he became a Christian. God can do that. But we tend to find God work in those ways in places where access to the Bible is restricted. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we are told that God prophesied and revealed himself through the prophets. But now he reveals himself through his son, Jesus. So the way that all Christians are now empowered to have the prophetic ministry of revealing the knowledge of God is proclaiming and testifying to his son, his son Jesus. And so every Christian by the Spirit can all have the prophetic power to share the good news of Jesus. And that is exactly what Peter goes on to do. He goes on to just straight up preach the gospel of Jesus to the crowd. We go to verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Peter saying God used to reveal himself through the prophets, but now God reveals himself through his son. God's prophetic ministry continues in and through Jesus. So let me tell you about Jesus. I'm not going to go through the whole sermon, but you can study it in more detail in community groups. This is what is great about community groups. That is where you can have the time and space to dig deep into God's words with other. But I'll give you a quick summary of the key points of what Peter said about Jesus. Number one, Jesus died. Number two, Jesus rose from the dead. And that is exactly what Psalm 16 is about. Written by King David, which Peter quotes next at verse 25, Peter points out that Psalm 16, that God said that he will not let his Holy One see decay. And Peter then says, hey, look, the funny thing is, David is buried over there. You can go and check his grave, and I'm pretty sure he's still there decaying. So Psalm 16 is not talking about King David, it's talking about Jesus. 
So if you know Psalm 16, you should know that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. For God will not let his Holy One see decay. And we come to point three, Jesus now ascended to heaven. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit, and now he pours out the Holy Spirit onto the church, just like he said he would. And so what this all means is that God has made Jesus Lord and Savior. Therefore, we should worship him. And so when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're experiencing worshiping Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that is another work of the Spirit in the believer's life, to experience exalting and worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that is what we see as the result of Pentecost. Read on with me from verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to also cut your hearts. What was it about Peter's sermon that the Spirit used to cut people's hearts? What was it that the people were so deeply convicted about? Notice back in verse 23, Peter says, You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you begin to have the shock realization that it wasn't just the Roman soldiers that killed Jesus, but it was also you who killed Jesus because of your sin. The Holy Spirit helps you realize that your sin is not just breaking God's rules, but your sin is also breaking God's heart. Your heart gets cut when you're convicted that you crucified Christ. Your old conviction says, yeah, look, I'm not a perfect person. I've broken a few rules. But your new conviction by the power of the Holy Spirit says, oh, I've broken him. And that drives you to repentance for Christ's forgiveness. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit is experiencing repentance to seek Jesus' forgiveness. The result of repentance and faith by the power of the Holy Spirit was that 3,000 people were added to their numbers that day. The result of repentance and faith was the birth of the early church. And from verses 42 to 47, we get this wonderful picture of the early church. We get a wonderful picture of what a spirit-filled church looked like, what they practiced, and what they devoted themselves to. So let me summarize what the Holy Spirit-filled church practiced and devoted themselves to in verses 42 to 47. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And what the apostles taught was that all of Scripture is pointing to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so the early church were devoted to Christ-centered Bible teaching. They were devoted to fellowship and giving generously to the needs of the church and the wider community. They were also devoted to the breaking of bread, which is referring to the practice of communion. So they were devoted to practicing the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. They were also devoted to praising God. And we read that they were filled with awe. 
And so in Acts chapter 2, we learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. We learn what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what a Holy Spirit-filled church practices. And so when someone makes judgment about whether a church is filled with the Holy Spirit or not, or whether someone is filled with the Holy Spirit or not, we need to ask, well, what are they basing their judgments on? Is it their experience? Is it their preferences? Or is it based on Scripture? Because if a church is practicing the things that we read about in Acts chapter 2, then it's filled with the Holy Spirit indeed. But upon my reflection, what might be lacking in the evangelical church is perhaps a lack of awe in God and His wonders. And I don't think it's because the evangelical church lacks God's presence or lack His wondrous acts. I think we're just not good at acknowledging the Holy Spirit uh, for His work in our lives. I don't think we're good at crediting the Holy Spirit for these changes that He's doing in our lives. I don't think we're good at testifying to each other the wonders of the Holy Spirit that is at work in our lives. In our self-centeredness, we are too easily crediting our efforts and not the work of the Holy Spirit. We're too easily say, too easily say this is me, rather this is God. I also think another thing that might be holding us back from seeing the evidences of the Holy Spirit in our church is maybe a lack of depth in community. Because the other really interesting detail that stood out for me in the text about the early church was that they really shared their lives with each other very openly and very generously. I think when they did that, they probably were more able to see more clearly, more evidently, the work of the Holy Spirit in each other's lives. And so I can imagine if we also had that kind of depth of community, we might be filled with more awe of God because we will be more encouraged to see each other's changes, to see and witness each other's growth, to see each other's worship, repentance, and obedience, which we would not easily recognize ourselves. So I think what might be hindering our experience of awe in God is the influence of Western culture's individualism and the growing isolation and privatization of our personal and family life in modern cities. But perhaps, just perhaps, if we shared our lives more openly and generously, sharing our struggles, asking for prayer, perhaps we might see more prayer being answered by God sharing our desires to grow, perhaps we might be more encouraged with each other's growth and progress in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing in the sacrifices of our church's ministry and mission. Perhaps we will be more thankful by seeing together God's hand in our midst, guiding our steps, creating opportunities, turning people's hearts to Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, we might be more filled with awe when we become more devoted to one another and more devoted to God's mission. So here are the two questions that Acts 2 puts before us. Firstly, have you received the Holy Spirit? Do you want to experience new life? Do you want the presence of God in your life? Then repent and receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour turn away from sin and turn to embracing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that today. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit today. 
Do you today have a new desire to obey Jesus? Do you have a new desire to worship Jesus? Do you have a new desire to follow Jesus? Then today, repent and receive and embrace Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The second question is, do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to experience more of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? And now I want to clear up some confusion perhaps about how we are to seek more of the Holy Spirit. And again, I want to point you back to the text to get that clarity. Notice that the metaphor that the text uses to compare the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 4, the text says, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit. Then notice in verse 13, the mockers, what do they say? They say, they are filled with wine. And Ephesians chapter 5 also uses the same metaphor and contrast, which says, do not be filled with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what's the parallel? What's the connection? Like, how does drunkenness actually be a good metaphor for being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because you're probably thinking, you never thought drunkenness was a good analogy for anything Christian, right? So, well, when you're drunk, they call it being under the influence. You've probably heard that before. He or she is under the influence of alcohol. And what that means is that alcohol has taken over your judgment. And when that happens, you are still you, but you're doing things that are dumb and destructive. You're still you, but you're not acting like yourself when you're under the influence of alcohol. Now flip that on the positive sense, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who has taken now over your judgment. And when that happens, you're still you, but you're doing good things, fruitful things, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You're still you, but you're not acting like yourself. You're more full of spiritual life. You're more full of spiritual fruit. You more love Jesus when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That makes you, but different to when it's just you. What happens when you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit is that timid people become courageous people. Scared people become bold people. Selfish people become unselfish. Wealthy people become joyfully generous. That is what happens when you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So when we want more of the Holy Spirit, we mean we want more of the influence of the Holy Spirit over our lives. Because it's not that the Holy Spirit is distant or somehow partially here but not here, partially with us and partially not. The Spirit has come fully and is fully dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit is fully with you. Don't ever think that the Holy Spirit isn't. But like any relationship, you can be close to someone but also feel very distant. Like marriage, when you live under the same roof, but if you haven't been communicating to each other, if you've been ignoring each other, well, it can feel like you are miles apart. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. We are always close to the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. He can't get any other closer than that. But we may not always come under the Spirit's influence. So what specific aspect of your life would you want to have more 
to be more influenced by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. What have you been convicted of today? What do you see is the most lacking thing in your life? Is it obedience? Is it awareness of God's presence in your life? Is it a greater need for your heart to be cut, to be driven to repentance? Is it a greater love for the other? Is it a greater hunger for the Scriptures? Is it a greater commitment to fellowship and generous giving? Is it a greater desire to pray? Or have you, perhaps, realized that all your Christian life you've been trying to obey God by just being you, just relying on your own strength? Where in your life do you need to be you, but also not you, to bear more spiritual fruit by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is the mind-blowing thing. By the Spirit, we are more than just ourselves. Let's just wrestle with that in our minds. We are more than just ourselves. And that absolutely blows up our sense of self-awareness because by the Spirit, we are more than just ourselves. So where do you need to be more influenced by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Well, today, repent of your self-dependence and surrender your mind, your will, your heart to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you now more thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, I hope you are. Are you more in awe of God as we let Scripture interpret Scripture, as we see all of Scripture pointing to the risen Christ, pointing to the giving of the Holy Spirit, seeing how all of God's plan of salvation also includes the significance of giving of the Holy Spirit. Are you more in God now? I hope you are. I hope you are in awe of God and the wonders of the Holy Spirit's acts as he works in cooperation with the works of the Father and the Son. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son, who sends us your Spirit to build your church. All glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May we come under the influence of your Spirit to be made a new people every day for our own good, the good of our marriages, the good of our families, for the good of our neighbours and the good of our communities, and for the good of our world as we seek to unite all people to gather together under Christ. May you fill our church with awe as we witness and testify to the wonders of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us as we boldly proclaim our risen Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.